Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Kyle. And we We have have issues. Our guest today is Allison Shook, the executive director of the Fountain Creek Watershed District. I'm going to come on today and talk about the organization, tell us a little bit about what they're doing. Uh, So really looking forward to talking to her. Yeah, you know, Allison or Allie has got uh, a lot of energy. She's uh, the new executive director as a Self-proclaimed, she's the the first woman after a a long line of old white guys uh, being the (laughs) executive director of the Fountain Creek Watershed District. But I'm excited to hear from her today because I, I, you know, a lot of people don't even know that it exists or what it does. And it really has a huge impact on citizens' lives in our region. Good. Let's hear from Allie. Allison, thanks for being here today. We really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Kyle. Happy to be here. Good. Um, so what we, you know, we have a lot of things we want to talk about relative to the watershed today. Um, but I think one of the first things that maybe, so people just have a, a little deeper understanding of what your organization does and is working on, maybe just give a little bit of background or, or history on the Fountain Creek Watershed District. Sure. Well, the district was set up um, back in 2009. There was a series of two years of meetings to figure out kind of what are the role or the issues that we have in the watershed? How could they be managed? What isn't being done? And it was decided at that time to stand up this organization. And um, it's really around being that um, partner to all the municipalities within the watershed. So we work from Palmer Lake to Pueblo and we do creek restoration work and engaging outreach and education. Well, and, and Allison, for our, you know our, our thousands of listeners that are out there, because that's how many we have, you know, help me understand or help us understand. Well, you know, what can citizens do? Why, why do they care about the Fountain Creek, and what can they do to make life better in Colorado for the Fountain Creek? Well, you know, when I think about all these issues that we have, you know, the biggest one in my mind is water. You know, we're seeing a lot more on water in the news in terms of water quality issues, water quantity issues with the Colorado River. There are so many risks to the water that we have. There are so many water users out there. And so really for us, we <clears throat> we really want to just engage people in the conversation and help them understand the very complex world that is water in Colorado. So was part of the the reason for the the launch of the organization related to some of the the lawsuit issues with Pueblo? Was that really what prompted it? And that was a big part of it. Yes, the Southern Delivery System was a project that uh, was a pipeline where they're bringing water up from Pueblo Reservoir to service the Colorado Springs residents. And um, as a result of that, if you think about it, you're we're actually importing water into our system. So we're bringing up millions of gallons a day, and that's used in our home. So we flush our toilets. We take showers and baths, and that water goes to the wastewater treatment plants. From there, that water is returned into Fountain Creek. So more water in Fountain Creek going south means higher velocity. That means more erosion, more sedimentation. So as a result, to kind of um, offset those impacts, the Watershed District was set up to manage $50 million that Colorado Springs provided to us to offset those impacts. So we have $50 million to do on-the-ground creek restoration projects, but it can only be new projects and they can only be south of Fountain so that Pueblo receives the maximum benefit from those projects. So, so was that $50 million part of the settlement from the lawsuit between Pueblo, the EPA, and Colorado Springs? It was a separate deal. It's really with the 1041 permit that Springs Utilities was granted to do the pipeline project. 
Interesting. So what are some examples of projects you've done in the quarter then with that money? Sure. Well, you know, we <clears throat> didn't want to just start throwing darts at the watershed and say, oh, what could we fix? We really wanted to do everything in sound science. And so there's this is actually the second most studied watershed in the country. Um, there's a lot of folks looking at this watershed. Number one, we have a very um, erratic watershed with just our natural setting. So we have, you know, Pikes Peak to the west is 14,000 feet plus. By the time you get to Pueblo, you've dropped over 10,000 feet in elevation over just a 70-mile distance. So huge elevation change. Then we have our um, erosive soils. We've got that Pikes Peak granite. We have the sand in the east. So that creates a lot more erosion naturally. You put on top of that another layer of our immense growth that we've seen in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And now we've got a very problematic watershed. So what we do to, to manage those projects, we uh, we are actually trying to um, allow our the, the Fountain Creek, I call it my problem child, to to do what it wants to do. If you look at an overhead map of the Fountain Creek over you know 100 years, it's gone 50, 100 feet in either direction during any point of time. It's always on the move. And so we're trying to allow that water to rise up when we have flood events, overflow its banks, and then naturally slow down. So we're doing um, creek, rest, creek uh, stabilization. We're also uh, trying to mimic what nature would do, right? We're enhancing habitat for wildlife, so using cottonwoods and willow trees to naturally manage that water. So how much of the 50 million have you guys used so far? Great question. We're uh, about 10 million left. Um, we have partnered those dollars with um, grants to make the dollars go farther and also project partners have contributed. So wh where did the 50 million come from? Springs Utilities. Yep, they they had to pay. They had to give that to the district so that we could do projects that benefit Pueblo because of that uh, Southern Delivery System project. So Colorado Springs ratepayers ultimately are the yes, ones that taxpayers. paid that fifty million dollars. Exactly. Well, the utilities people tell you not taxpayers, ratepayers. Ratepayers. That's yeah. right. This is a service. <laughs> I've right. been scolded numerous times by Dan Hodges and. Andy Colosimo uh, at okay. Springs Utilities for calling them taxpayers. We stand corrected. Yes. <laughs> Numerous um, times. Now, beyond the, the the actual like restoration projects and, and that, you guys also do a lot of education work. Um, you have like Creek Week, those types of things. Talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the public education side of what you guys do. Absolutely. Well, you know, watershed is a term that many people don't even know what that means, how they relate to it. And so 10 years ago, in fact, I, I thought, you know, what's the best way to help people understand what a watershed is, is to get them out into it. And so that's why I thought in a clean, you know, we, we have a very dirty city. We've got trash everywhere, very windy city. So that trash is blowing around. Let's get people out to do a cleanup. So we did our first cleanup um, and it was watershed wide. So we were working from Palmer Lake to Pueblo, all these communities coming together one time during nine days. So we say nine days no excuses. So everybody should be doing Creek Week. Our first year was 625 people, picked up a couple, you know, 100 pounds of trash, um, did a great job. And here we are 10 years later, we're expecting to engage 4,000 citizens in over 10 communities in this project. It's grown to be the largest cleanup in the state. And we might even say the nation. Wow. What, what kind of impact does the homeless population, you know, in the uh, America, the beautiful park area and kind of all, and I, there are homeless camps all <clears throat> along the creek. Everywhere. What kind of issue does that have on, on the creek and the amount of trash that gets put into it? 
It is impacting our watershed, unfortunately, and this is something we see up and down. Um, so we have folks, you know, the unhoused living along the waterways, and we, during our cleanups, have found things like a toilet lid um, perfectly placed so that they can use our creek as a toilet. Um, we also just, you know, find all sorts of trash. We find a lot of, you know, old sleeping bags and clothes and socks. And so, you know, for our volunteers, we want to keep them safe. We want it to be a fun, engaging activity. And so we are not going after homeless camps in our cleanups. You know, we're getting kind of the everyday garbage that's out there. But um, in terms of the impact, it's it's the trash, it's the uh, fecal matter uh, in the in the creek. Um, it's taking down the natural vegetation to make, you know, homes for themselves or, or you know, or harming wildlife out there. So there's many different aspects to a very complicated problem. And unfortunately, you know, we're seeing those impacts. One of the things you talked about is the, the $50 million has to be used south of Fountain. Mm -hmm. But your area goes obviously up to Monument, up to Green Mountain Falls, out east, all of that. How are, what are you able to do in those? Because I'm sure there's a lot that can be done in those other areas right. that would help the watershed overall. How are you, uh, are you able to, to raise money or find money to do projects in those areas? Or has it just been for right now, the focus is just so much on South Fountain? This, the focus has been on the $50 million. And there's a separate committee that's set up that has folks uh, from Colorado Springs, from Springs Utilities, and from Pueblo that you know identify where those dollars should be spent to maximize them. Um, so we haven't been able to do other work in the watershed beyond our outreach and education programs. We know that there's over a billion dollars in project work out there. Probably more since this last spring and summer with all the rains. You know, we've seen a lot of erosion um, after these big storms. So we would love to be able to um, serve all of our communities in the watershed. We're talking to them right now with our strategic planning efforts. So we're sitting down with community leaders in Palmer Lake, in Monument, in Green Mountain Falls. What do you need from this watershed district? Because we know um, there's a lot of need out there. And that's something that we can bring because we do work beyond just one jurisdictional boundary. So what does that look like? You know, I, I live in Palmer Lake. I want to go mm -hmm. to my town leaders and tell them, hey, you need to be more involved in the Fountain Creek Watershed District. What, what kind of interactions would you like to have with those kinds of community leaders? Well, actually, um, we would we have uh – we would love to hear from citizens on what they would like to see. So talk to your community leader. Maybe it's a trail connection. You know, up in the that northern part of the watershed, there's a huge fire risk. So maybe we can play a role in securing some of the dollars to do some mitigation work up there. It's really each community is so unique in our watershed and they have different needs. Colorado Springs has a great stormwater program, but that's not true up north. That's not true to the west in Green Mountain Falls. So we just want to be that player that can um, really support the myriad of watershed needs that are out there. You so you touched on something I, I did want to ask about. So the there is a recreation component to this as well, mm -hmm. being able to build that into some of these projects so that there's obviously an added benefit to the corridor. What are some examples of how you guys do that? Yeah, we, uh, you know, Colorado Springs Utilities is concerned about, you know, the pipes and the wires. And if they're doing a project, the, the district could come in and maybe build in, like I said, a trail connection. Or maybe we can do a tree planting project to support the urban canopy that's being lost um, in this in this region. You know, we're that icing on the cake. We can do kind of the fun stuff that the cities, counties, you know, they have a very specific role for their dollars. We can be that icing on the cake, um, you know, sort of player and provide extra you know, dollars or seek those grants to provide trail connections, to build trout habitat. I caught my first trout in Fountain Creek right across from a homeless camp. So they're out there. 
And so did we it just, have three eyes? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we did not eat it. It was a catch and release situation. <laughs> yeah, that's a, uh-huh. Good stuff. Um, but it's there. And we know that people live here for the recreation. We want to be, you know, be a player in that space. Well, I, I've always thought, especially since they've done a, a bunch of that reclamation work, you know, kind of up north through Colorado Springs, not necessarily uh, in the areas that you control. But I've seen a lot of that. And I've always thought, man, that would be a great place to put some recreation type of activities, be able to, you know, throw your kayak in north of town and then have somebody pick you up at America the Beautiful Park, something like that. Right. Let's put in a kayak put in. Let's put in, you know, some educational signage. Let's get the trash cans back in our parks, you know, those kinds of things. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of recreational opportunities out there. We've seen it very successful in Pueblo. You know, they've got their river walk. They've got a lot of amenities down there. And for some reason, Colorado Springs, we just haven't embraced our waterways for recreation the way that many other cities do. Yeah, I, I think in a lot of respects, it's access issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Colorado Springs is so pre- spread out. You know, this is a very downtown centric sort of mm-hmm. thing. And there aren't lots of great access points unless you're willing to walk and uh, put in a little effort to get to the Fountain Creek. Right. And there's about, I th- there's over 50 creeks that actually flow into Monument and Fountain Creek. Most of them are intermittent though. So throughout the year, they're not flowing unless there's a precipitation event. So a lot of folks don't even know that there might even be a waterway in their neighborhood until it's raining or until they have water in their basement. And it's not a good situation. Yeah. The erosion issues brought on by growth and the volume of water that's going down the creek. Mm-hmm. So you guys also get involved quite a bit in water conservation issues, water conservation education, that kind of stuff. What are some things? I mean, we were joking around beforehand, but what are some things that people can do as far as water conservation that might help in this situation with the water headed down to Pueblo? Sure. You know, the the, the water conservation issue is it's very big. You know, there may be some you know, Colorado Compact calls coming in future years where we're not going to be able to get the water that we have, you know. Kind of explain what Colorado Compact is. So this was um, an agreement that was formed in the 1800s when the Colorado River was at a very high level. So there's a lot of water when they measured that particular year. And here we are over 100 years later, and things are very, very different. Well, and specifically, the compact is between, you know, we have several compacts between multiple states uh, that, that source uh, water from the Colorado River. We're just the kind of head source of it. Yes, we're the headwater state. There's, in fact, 19 states that rely on water that starts right here in Colorado. So as Coloradans, you know, we really have the ultimate responsibility to all of our downstream neighbors to take care of our water. Um, so that that compact says, well, there's an upper part of the Colorado River and a lower part of the Colorado River, and each, um, each, each of those states gets a certain amount of water. We also are promising water to other states downstream, like California, um, and Arizona. And so all of those are allotted. Every every drop of water has been spoken for. And so we're seeing reductions in that water in the Colorado River, and we need to figure out a solution because our population continues to grow. We have water quality impacts that are, um, you know, we, there's the town of Wildfield doesn't even get have a water source right now because they had the PFOAs, you know, in their waterways. So we're seeing those and, and risks. Those are the the forever chemicals you might have heard right, about. Right. And this is in stuff that you use in dry cleaning and yeah, it this really came fleece, as a source. Yeah. Jackets, firefighting film. There's so many sources. Came came from Peterson Air Force Base, causing and a lot an of the yeah, there. bases yeah. were using this foam. And so actually the um 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife did a study not too long about, ago about that. And in 20 plus reservoirs in the state of Colorado, high alpine to you know urban, 100% of the fish they tested had those PFOAs in them. So that's pretty scary, you know. So in terms of the, back to the conservation piece, uh, this yeah. is an individual thing that we can all make a difference on. Taking a shorter shower, you know, doing your car wash at home. Um, you know, doing your dishes with the dishwasher being full and not just throwing a pair of socks in the laundry, doing larger loads together. Um, those are all individual choices that we make every day, how we use our water. And by reducing that, you're not only reducing your water footprint, but you're also saving a few bucks along the way. So so there are some things I do at home, I think, that are, you know, I'm a great <laughs> conservationist. And uh -huh, so uh -huh. I just want to ask to know if yes, these are the kinds of things right. are that you, I read actually, that in your bio. yeah, that's very, yes, um, right. huge environmental uh, water conservation sort of guy. So I just, I just want to ask, you know, uh -huh. just to, to know if these are the kind of things I'm doing that are actually uh, saving water and, and am I as a citizen doing my part? Okay. Okay, number and I live on five acres. Okay, okay. Um, peeing off my back deck as opposed to in the toilet. <laughs> um, Conserves water or no? Well, I I believe it does conserve water. To answer the question, I'm not sure your neighbors how they feel about that. I was going to say but, it conserves uh, water and concerns neighbors. That's what <laughs> there you it, go. Yeah. Well, but I'm a conservationist. I mean, yes. and that's what you know. It's um, they can avert their eyes, and it's again, I live on five acres, so it's not like um, you, it's you know, not directly I, I, going into right. a waterway. It's being inf infiltrated through the ground. Sure. Being yeah. filtered well. Okay. Yeah. And here's another huge controversial topic that oh uh, <laughs> I've talked about with a lot of folks. I, you know, it, which by the way, life changing. I'm a recent purchaser of a uh, bidet lid uh, for uh, my you know, toilet and business, business. at sure. home. Uh -huh. And so I, you know, sometimes I feel guilty because it uses water uh, as opposed to paper for cleaning. So is it, you know, net gain benefit using the bidet lid versus paper? You know, I, I need the I've official heard... answer from I... <laughs> yeah. the executive director of the Fountain yeah. Creek Watershed District. I'm not on this speaking win. on behalf of, but I, 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 I'm not. Uh, I've heard a lot of positive comments about these bidets. A lot of folks have them. I don't know the math. I haven't done the math myself. But I feel like if you're not using as much toilet paper in that process, you know, we know it takes water to make toilet paper, so there's probably some um, reduction there. But, you know, it sounds like you really enjoy it. So, you know, for your own personal joy in life, well, you know, I think you, you gotta, should. Uh, you, you, you gotta, <laughs> it's the little things. You got to reward yourself Sometimes, every once yeah. in a while well, in life. Yeah. It's a big deal. If you're peeing out back once in a while, sure. but it's probably a, a net net. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and one, one last one. Yeah. I, um, I know we passed a law in the state of Colorado. Up until a few years ago, it was illegal to capture rainwater from your roof. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Uh, and at the time, uh, Speaker of the State House, Chrysantha Duran, uh, introduced a piece of legislation that allowed us to capture up to, I, I think it's um, two, 255 two, gallon, gallon mm -hmm. drums. Um, and I actually. I, I would like to say I'm the one that called her and said, hey, it needs to be 55 gallon drums because that's the size of the drums the that they size. actually make the standard yeah. size. Yeah. And so she ran the amendment to do that. Super proud of Good that job. contribution. Get you. So, so uh, extra, barrel. you know, the kind of thing that that actually helps uh, conserve water and, and not necessarily conserve water, but um, also preserve the uh, integrity of the water system in Colorado by 
capturing and then reusing that kind of water for your garden and things of that nature. Absolutely. Rain barrels are a great way to go. Yeah, you can have two up to 55 gallons each uh, on your property. And your plants do so much better with the natural rainwater because it's not treated with chemicals that comes from, you know, the utility. Uh, my plants do a lot better with them. You're saving water. and uh, But you just got to remember in the wintertime to flip them over, empty them out so they don't crack in the wintertime. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the outdoor is where we spend a lot of our, our water here. You know, landscaping is a huge water use. So we're really encouraging people to use native plants um, to reduce their bluegrass. That Kentucky bluegrass is a very thirsty plant. Uh, you see people watering at all times of the day. It takes a lot of fertilizers to keep that stuff green. Maybe not yet this spring, but it will dry out eventually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think landscaping is a huge area where people can benefit and uh, be, you know, reduce their water use. Well, I, I think unless you're like a millionaire in Colorado Springs now, you can't water grass anymore because it is it's so, so expensive. expensive and cost prohibitive. And it does nothing for our biodiversity. You know, native plants are connected to those pollinators that are, you know, our butterflies, our hummingbirds, our bees, our bats are even pollinators. So um, changing out just a couple of spots in your yard will really be a great benefit. Yeah, I think 50 years from now or 100 years from now, people are going to be like, lawns? What were lawns? Well, they're it's talking not, about our climate changing to, you know, where it's going to be more Arizona-like, yeah. you know, in that time. Yeah. And it, so it's it's obviously it's coming. Mm -hmm. um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about was, so obviously you have the $50 million, you have about $10 million left. At some point, that pool of money is going to be gone. Mm -hmm. You still have other opportunities for grants and stuff. But are there, what do you... I, I mean, obviously, I've heard over the last few years that you might be considering a ballot issue, something for more of a long-term sustainable funding source. Absolutely. Is that something that... I mean, am I hearing things? Yes. Correctly? Well, back in before 2000, we you know when the organization was set up, the leaders at the time said this, you know, we will get sustainable funding for this organization. That was always the plan. And so now we're to the point where that 50 million is running out and we need to be, like I said, servicing the rest of the, the watershed. And so we are looking, looking at a strategic plan right now. Um, could it be a mill levy? You know, would that be both El Paso and Teller counties um, supporting the watershed, maybe five bucks a month? El Paso um, and or, Pueblo counties? Uh, yes. What did I say? Teller. Teller. <laughs> Let's Paso. throw them in no, too, no. though. We see, you know. Sorry, I just don't, want our, so I just don't want our Teller County listeners to start being on what? Right, right. Yeah, no, right. sorry. It, it would be El Paso and Pueblo counties, um, maybe $5 a month that would sustain us for, you know, maybe it's a 20-year time frame. We revisit. We could also look at a sales tax. That's been floated. Uh, we're certainly looking at grant opportunities. We're um, And each year, our jurisdictional partners do pass the hat for our administrative fee. So we could ask for more dollars from all of our jurisdictions and their general fund. So we're trying to be creative. We're trying to, you know, do more with less like everyone else. But we've got a lot of problems here. And really, we're one of the only regions that doesn't have a dedicated program. You look to our neighbors to the north, the Mount High Flood District. They have a very similar setup that we're looking at doing. And when that organization was set up, they came out of the gates with two, with two mills. You know, I, I mean, I know that, um, what was it, Proposition C a few years ago uh, really dealt significantly with wastewater. And so that's money that ends up in the city of Colorado Springs or Colorado Springs utilities, mm -hmm. do they, are they required? Is there any sort of um, necessity or a funding stream that comes from them to the Fountain Creek Watershed District? Because, I mean, that, that's what they told us uh, in years past when they passed this Proposition C or Referendum C, I think it was called a few mm -hmm. years ago. When they passed Referendum C, they said, listen, this is all about getting our uh, 
getting our wastewater issues in check. In fact, a big part of that was to service this uh, uh, lawsuit that we had with uh, the city of Pueblo between Pueblo and Colorado Springs. So it seems to me there should be some dollars there coming into the Fountain Creek Watershed District. I have not seen or heard about that, um, but it's certainly something we could pursue. Well, I think as the executive director, you would know about that, um, uh, you know, but, but it, I mean, it seems it's part of the system. So is it, mm-hmm. you, you know, is, is Colorado Springs utilities kind of um, getting the benefit of this without actually paying for it? That's a good question. You know, Fountain Creek is really ultimately a water delivery um, is infrastructure. You know, it's just natural infrastructure. It's moving that water from one location to another. And so, you know, perhaps that's a conversation we'd be, we should be having with utilities. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's natural infrastructure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But it's nat- natural infrastructure. We put a tremendous amount of effort and time and change into. So it's everything that happens with the Fountain Creek isn't natural. I mean, obviously, you can just, you know, go along America, the beautiful park and see uh, all of the man-made changes that have mm-hmm. happened there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, so what are, what are some things, I, I mean, again, part of this for me is, I, you know, I worked on the Pikes Peak Greenway project starting <clears throat> in 91. Uh, we were on the Greenway Fund board for a while together. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, the Greenway area, the Creek corridor has been something that I've been aware of for a long time, but I know a lot of other people aren't. Um, what are, what else would you like people to know about the organization? Uh, where can they go to get information? Um, again, you have great events that you guys do. What are some of those? Maybe just talk a little bit more about just kind of general information about the organization. Sure. You know, I think um, we have a little bit of an identity crisis. People don't really know who we are. Who is this Fountain Creek Watershed District? If you haven't done one of our cleanups, you know, that's a lot of times people's first opportunity to interface with us is doing one of our cleanups. And um, we're really proud of that work. We also have the only Brew Shed Alliance in Colorado. So what's the number one ingredient in beer? Hmm. Hops. No, I'm no. Water, obviously. It's water. water. So there's a great connection there. And boy, is is beer Colorado or what? So we um, you know, have people coming visiting, they're using our trails, they're rafting our water, and they go get a beer afterwards. You know, around here we'll go do the same thing. So whether you're a visitor or a resident, you're hitting our craft brew scene. And so we have over 25 breweries now from Palmer Lake to Pueblo that have said, Hey, we know we need great water for our product. We want to support this watershed district and your initiatives. And so we now have a monthly liquid lecture so that we bring in a, a watershed uh, health related speaker and we talk about that topic. They get a buck off a of beer, our participants. Uh, those breweries also do cleanups with us during Creek Week and during our springtime cleanup, which is the Great American Cleanup. Uh, that's just a one day event. Uh, those breweries do fundraisers for us. So it's just a great way to get our name out there. We also have coasters. I brought in a couple samples for you guys to see. So as you're drinking your beer, you're being, I call it edutainment, right? So you're, there's a little bit of education on there about, oh, I should scoop my dog's poop? Huh, what a great idea. Well, uh, and and uh, the coaster acts as a, 
watershed containment. That's right. right. So, so any I'm, water that's shedding off your off, beer right. will then be captured here in the coaster. Well, and and I'm not, uh, you know, then uh, causing problems with my desk or something like that. <laughs> that's so right. Gonna, yeah, there's no erosion to, right, no happening, there, right. sedimentation. Yeah. So the breweries have been great partners for us. We're really, really happy about that unique program. Uh, we also do a lot with native plants and pollinators. In fact, we just were part of uh, Manitou Springs is the world's first pollinator district. And so we were a partner in that, helping them uh, get that certification. Uh, we do um, a scoop the poop events. So we encourage people again to scoop that waste. That's another big problem with our creeks is we are um, over the limit for E. coli, which is a bacteria in our waterways. And that E. coli um, comes from waste and it could be pet waste. We're a very dog friendly you know, area here. It could come from those humans that are inhabiting our creekways, our waterways, um, horses and cows, you know, all play a role in that. And so that's one thing that we can control as dog owners. Hey, I'm going to do my role and, and pick up that poop. So as you're trying to educate folks to, you know, one, let them know who you are mm -hmm. uh, and two, let them know what you do. And then you're, you're, you know, thinking about trying to create this dedicated funding stream for mm -hmm. them. So maybe a mill levy increase. What are the kind of things you have five bucks a month? So we're looking at about 60 bucks a year on mm -hmm. the average home. Mm -hmm. For that, what are the kind of things that maybe those citizens could say, hey, this is what I'm going to be able to get for my $60 a year? What kind of benefits are the citizens going to see? Absolutely. Well, we're again, we're reaching out to all the communities in the watershed right now just to say, what are your needs? And so, you know, they can participate in a tree planting event that we're going to do. We're um, There's a big push to do a huge project in downtown Colorado Springs at America the Beautiful Park and along Monument Creek. We can help make that project happen sooner. Um, I'm hearing well, here, Here's what I'm getting at. Are there going to be like more recreational opportunities along the Fountain Creek that could be uh, so, you know, so you sort of create this circumstance where uh, you're making the watershed better. You're, you know, giving our downstream users in Pueblo um, cleaner, cleaner, better water. water. Mm -hmm. It's not flowing as fast. And it's creating some sort of recreational opportunities for the citizens of of El Paso County and Colorado Springs. Right. Yeah. We want people to engage with the water. So we want it to be cleaner. We want to provide access, you know, places where people can sit and read a book and, um, you know, just can make that connection to the water that many other places have. So we're looking where, where we could best do that. Where are those opportunities? Nice. Um, the, so again, donating is one way, obviously right now people can get involved. Creek week, with 4,000 people this year, that's amazing Huge. to see that kind of participation. Um, are there other ways for people that they can get involved? Other events, other, I mean, obviously the, I love the brew shed idea. Mm -hmm. um, I hope you trademarked that. It's, we actually, uh, Washington State was the first one that has it trademarked. So we are paying to use that term. Uh, <laughs> in fact, yeah. So yeah. when is Creek Week, by the way? Creek Week is going to be September 30th through October 8th this year. So we like to say nine days, no excuses. Um, so you can sign up to be a crew leader and say, I'm going to lead my neighborhood or I'm going to lead my church group or I'll lead my kids, you know, uh, you know, um, Boy Scout group. Um, and they, you could be a crew leader. And then we will provide you training. We'll give you the bags. We'll give you the gloves. You'll pick an area in town that's convenient to you. You go out there and most people spend an hour or two. Um, it's not an all day affair. And you could just really see that impact that you and your group have made right there. So where, where can people go to sign up for Creek Week or, or reach out to get more involved? Sure. We've got a really great website, fountain-crk.org, um, or just Google Fountain Creek Watershed District. And you'll also see our meetings. We have uh, four meetings a month that are open to the public. Our board of directors are all um, 
community leaders. They are our county commissioners. They are city council. We have a Pueblo landowner on our board. So those meetings are open to the public. We also have a technical advisory committee that we refer our projects through to make sure that they're scientifically sound and um, going to be functional. We have a citizen advisory committee. So those folks are citizens that speak on behalf of you know folks in the watershed. We're always looking for more um, people to join that group. Um, and then we have that monetary mitigation fund that looks at the district dollars. So all those meetings and all that information, a lot of great resources on our website, the studies that have been done. Uh, we have project information on there. So you can see, um, you know, these projects that we do are millions of dollars uh, individually. So this work is very expensive um, and it's being tested right now with these high waters and, and it's actually holding up quite well. So we're proud of that. Good. Good. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate you being here today. Mark, did you have any other questions? Oh, it's uh, great visiting with you today. We appreciated the opportunity. And please, once again, uh, just give the website place where people can reach out to get involved. Absolutely. Fountain-crk.org. That's the Fountain Creek Watershed District. And yeah, we just really want to encourage everyone to be a watershed warrior, whatever that means to you. And, and if somebody wants to call with complaints, what's your personal cell I'm number? Not no, I'm only out. kidding. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, in the future, if you guys are looking at a possible ballot issue, uh, we'll probably invite you back then to maybe talk about that more too. I'd be happy to do that. We like to talk about those too. So. <laughs> Super. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Good. Thanks. Thank you. That was an interesting conversation with Allie today. I actually learned quite a few things about the watershed district that I didn't know before. And again, I, I, I think it's an issue important to our region and glad we were able to have her on. Yeah. And I mean, she certainly made me feel like more of a water conservationist with the things that I do at home. So I, I'm, you know, happy that we had her on. She gave me a little bit of validation today, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure you should share everything you're doing at home with, <laughs> with our listeners, but um, no, I thought it was good and and very educational. And, and again, looking forward to my guesses. We'll probably have her back on if they do go forward with a ballot issue. Yeah. It'll be great to have her back and, and yeah, be able to make that case. Uh, for why this is a good thing for the citizens of uh, our region and, and for the entire state of Colorado. We have other issues to talk about today. And I, I got to ask, you copied me on an email uh, last week, an email conversation you had with Vicki Tonkins, the head of the El Paso County Republicans. Uh, talk a little bit about this. I'm just, it was fascinating to me. Well, you know, Kyle, when we envisioned what the name of our podcast was going to be, We Have Issues, this is the kind of stuff I am talking about. It is so incredibly frustrating right now being a Republican in El Paso County and even in the entire state of Colorado. Um, our state party chair, Dave Williams, who actually served in the seat that I served in in the state legislature after me, uh, David Williams put out an email uh, recently touting uh, a deal that he had made with the Libertarian Party in the state of Colorado. And he basically said, listen, in circumstances where um, Republicans are effectively in line with Libertarian values, Libertarians aren't going to bring up a candidate or what they call a spoiler candidate. And so you can kind of kind of put that aside for a minute, just a, a spoiler candidate, somebody that would be uh, take so many votes away that it causes a Republican to lose in the race. Um, now, there can be some debate over, you know, who Republicans take from, whether they take from Democrats uh, or Republicans or who Libertarians take from, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. There's a little bit of debate over that. Yeah. But the issue was he's saying, hey, 
Um, Republicans uh, who support libertarian values, libertarians aren't going to put up a candidate in those races based on this deal he's made with the Libertarian Party state chair. So, uh, you know, it's craziness here. So I, I went and, you know, I mean, I, I've dealt with libertarians. I'd say there's a libertarian streak in all of us uh, yeah. uh, to a, a little bit of a degree, right? Yep. Um, and so I went to the libertarian website just to say, you know, hey, you know, what are those values that they're looking for? What are the what is the Libertarian Party embody? Because I, I think I know that. And there were a couple things specifically that I was looking for. And in particular, one of the things that libertarians value is government stay out of my business. Yeah. Right. And it's in all circumstances, not just in select circumstances, but libertarians want government government to stay out of their business. And so a huge part of their platform is actually their position on abortion. Now, make what you want of abortion, but libertarian values say, listen, government stay out of my business. And that means it, you know, uh, what, what a woman does to her body is up to her. Yeah. Uh, and, and I know Dave, I've known him for a lot of years. Uh, in fact, I've probably been attacked by him for not being pro-life enough. Uh, in my time in the party. And so it seems odd to me that, hey, I'm going to cut this deal with the Libertarian Party that says we're going to put up candidates that um, embody those values. Well, but this is one of those values. I mean, yeah. I know what he was thinking, thinking it's it, it has to do with fiscal responsibility and things of that nature. But I don't think you get to just pick the issues that you want to pick. You got to embrace all of them, right? Yeah. So the question will be, are they going to put up Republican candidates who are pro-choice? Yeah. And, or are the, is there, are the libertarians ever going to look at the Republican candidate and say they meet our values? I mean, to me, it could just end up being a situation where the libertarians run candidates anyway, because they're not going to find a Republican candidate that meets all of their values. Yeah. And, and I think it goes beyond that a little bit. And, and here's, you know, kind of the impetus for my question. And also, it's, you know, it's not just the pro-choice issue. So, so for example, um, you know, libertarians are much more embracing of the gay and trans community than uh, at least Dave Williams brand of the Republican Party is, right? Yeah. Uh, and so are, are we going to embrace, you know, the kind of candidates that are accepting of all of that? Or, you know, to your point, are we just never going to be in a circumstance where the libertarian gets out of the race? Now, I think the issue is this, and this is why I, I kind of put this uh, email out. And it's that in, in this last election cycle, there was a, a big um, complaint that Joe O'Day, he was the Senate nominee for Republicans, uh, was pro-choice. And so a lot of people and a lot of, of people that are in the Republican Party who, um, who are in leadership in the Republican Party and, and who have pledged to support the Republican candidate actually didn't support Joe O'Day and supported the Libertarian candidate instead because they felt the Libertarian candidate more accurately reflected their values than pro-choice Joe O'Day did. Now, I think in that circumstance, the Libertarian candidate wasn't being honest um, or was certainly phrasing stuff in a way that made themselves look more pro-life, made themselves look like they were more of a Republican, but when in actuality they weren't. So I, to me, the issue is this. I think we're going to create a circumstance where Dave Williams, the 
state chair of the Republican Party is going to be able to say, listen, Republican, if you don't support my values, the Republican Party is going to be able to support the Libertarian candidate. Interesting. And I'm here to tell you, Kyle, an absolute disaster for our party moving forward if that's the approach that we take. Interesting. The And again, the other part of this that I thought was very interesting um, was your email went to Vicki Tonkins. You asked her for her view on the subject, and she basically pushed it off saying, ah, that's Dave Williams thing. You need to call him. And then when you asked her for her opinion, you haven't heard back. Yeah. So, you know, so for the listeners that may not understand this, Dave Williams is state party chair. Vicki is the uh, El Paso County Republican Party chair. Very close, super strong ally with David Williams. They have done a tremendous amount of work together over the years. And I was looking for a way to engage in this conversation. And when I got an email from the El Paso County Republican Party talking about this letter from David Williams touting uh, this deal that he had cut with the Libertarian Party, I thought, hmm, this is my opportunity. You know, Vicki Tonkins is the one emailing me, telling me about this. It's yeah. okay for me to ask her about it. And I did that. And I got a very curt, and I mean a curt response back. Uh, hey, Mr. Waller, that is uh, Chairman Williams' response. If you got a problem with it, go ask him. To which I responded, said, fair enough. Absolutely. I need to go do that. Um, but in the meantime, how about this, Chairwoman Tompkins? What do you think about this? Are you going to support this um, this deal moving forward? Crickets. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. nothing. So it's it's clown show things like this that – so again, I've talked about this before. About three years ago, I changed my affiliation from Republican to unaffiliated. I – the continual actions like this, things like this – I, at least personally, I don't know that there's a place for me back in the Republican Party. Yeah, Kyle. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are saying that these days. There are a lot of people that are questioning their, you know, it's it's become a lot less about values, I think, and it's become more about power and control. Yes. And trying to maintain power and control. You know, we've become, you know, in some respects, I think we've become a little bit of a cult. Right. It's it's following the uh, Trump and making sure that we're doing what we can to be supportive of Trump, not not of our platform, not of our ideology, not of our values, but of the person. Um, and I think it's really become an issue for us. And, and it's, you know, one, I think the demographics of our state have changed a lot. And so there are more unaffiliated voters. There are more left leaning people. But but as Republicans, we have gone so far to the extreme that we've chased people out of the party, people like you that would otherwise be here. Uh, and it's created quite a bit of frustration. You know, uh, another example of this, David Williams complaining about Doug Lamborn. Who, who in their right mind would remotely think that Doug Lamborn is some sort of tax and spend liberal? He, a couple of years ago, out of the 435 members of Congress of the House, 
he was voted the most conservative. Now, this is a few years ago. That may have changed, but he was as far right in the U.S. House as anybody. Yeah, I, I think his voting record was something like voting against Nancy Pelosi like 99.3% of the time. <laughs> I mean, you don't get more conservative than that. But you have the circumstance where the state party chair is lambasting Doug Lamborn for not being conservative enough. Yeah, I, I it's all just very interesting to me. So hope I'm sure if she ever responds to you, we'll talk about it again. I'll love to, you know, bring that back up. But I think there's this issue isn't going away anytime soon. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it some more as we go forward. Well, yeah, this issue and numerous others uh, with um, how the Republican Party is engaging in uh, its attempts to gain more seats and gain more voters, it just go in the absolute opposite direction. Uh, and it's this is just one of many issues, I think, that we're going to have. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for today. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back next week. All right, Kyle. It's a great time spending time with you, Allie. And as always, our... Uh, great producer, Ted Robertson. Thank you for listening to We Have Issues. Special thanks to our producer, Ted Robertson. I'm Kyle. And I'm Mark. And boy, you're right. We have issues. Tune in next week for even more. <laughs>